Welcome back, everyone, to There's Always Another Podcast, a Brandon Sanderson reading and rereading podcast. Uh, I'm Justin, and as usual, I am joined by... New laptop, Beth. New hard drive, Sam. And newly in love, Caleb, who has just been introduced to a new character who I cannot wait to talk about. Oh, we were waiting for this. (laughs) Yep. All right. Yeah, we are. We're coming back for another episode going over Well of Ascension. Uh, We're starting off part two today. So with uh, in the second book, we've we've set the stage pretty quickly here with part one and uh, really getting into things already here in part two. How is uh, everyone feeling after this this section? Still feeling like uh, Seiza and Marsh are getting short shrift here. Just like physically <laughs> chapter wise, they're getting the shortest chapters. Yeah, let's let's hear more of that story. That spooky story. We did finally get a chapter of the two of them that was like more than three pages, which was nice. Yeah. <laughs> the conventicle of Saran. Yes, and we will get to Tindwell when she is properly introduced. Uh but from way back in like the middle of Final Empire, Beth and I have have said oh caleb's gonna love her <laughs> i i i am curious because i feel like there have been i think i've heard that from friends as well is it just because of my attitude towards Elend, or did you guys just know the general vibe would also be up my alley uh mostly for me at least bullying. it was it, yeah it was mostly just just somebody coming to slap some shit into to ellen because here's the thing i'll just say it now she's my favorite character but um i think she would still be maybe not my absolute favorite but would still probably be one of my favorites if she was doing this to another character i i just her all of her vibes are very i mean it would depend on the character if she was doing it to vin i'd be like rude but i don't know <laughs> i it's it's it, we'll we'll get into it but it's not just that she's bullying Ellen. there's there's multiple reasons i really like her but uh we'll get to her when we get to her all right yeah i was i was thinking about when we were starting the final empire and it felt like it took a minute to get the plot rolling we had a lot of world to set up a lot of characters introduced magic systems to get going on things are a rolling pretty quick in this one yeah yeah we've we've had uh multiple kind of key conflict conflicts already introduced and it's time to start working on those we have armies at the city gates we have a Chandra impersonating one of our uh, close friends, probably. And there's some problems to solve. And also something weird and, and eldritch going on out in the, the far dominances with Sazed and Marsh. And also part two is titled Ghosts in the Mist. So we also learned from this chapter that there is some eldritch stuff going on. That's not just in the outer dominances. And that's very <laughs> maybe uh finding out a little bit more about that as we as we proceed the mist so there's a homestar runner sting that they play um frequently whenever they're talking about something spooky and it's like i'll have to find it it's like loose like and they'll just play it every time somebody says something spooky yeah it's the spooky noise yeah i think it's literally called the spooky noise (laughs) i do think it's kind of funny how uh in the the early parts of final empire uh, kelsier has to kind of like disabuse vin of some of her like you know quaint superstitions about the mists and what they mean 
and now it turns out that there's actually potentially some real problems. Oh, I have I have some thoughts that we'll save for the theory section, but yes, I'm fascinated by that dichotomy of Kelsier being like the mists are fine, and now here we are realizing mists are not fine. No. <laughs> Alert, mists bad. But you can draw on them. Yeah, they they can be drawn on. We're going to have to put that photo up at some point. <laughs> All right. Uh, we've got lots of things that we've earmarked for later, so I think we should go ahead and uh, begin the chapters at hand. Uh, starting off, like we mentioned, with the beginning of part two, Ghosts in the Mist. Once again, with an epigraph, with Quan talking about the the kind of early days of him and Alendi and how he came to believe that Alendi was in fact the hero of ages. So nothing quite new on that yet, but we're uh, that's where we're starting from. Yeah. Quan says Alendi was the hero of ages, the Rabzine and Clenium, the Enemnesor. If you said any of those words to me like a year ago, I would be like, what is wrong with you? What do you, what words? <laughs> yeah. That would have been like, is that a Yu-Gi-Oh card? Wait, sorry. So you're saying you see the words Rabzine and Anamnesor and you go, ah, yes. I go, oh, what? The Anamnesors. You have slammed your hand on your keyboard. Clenium. I believe we do know XKCD about how an author gets a certain number of made up gibberish words and if they go over that, then it rapidly becomes distracting and or annoying. Uh, and the you, title David text Cage. specifically, the title text specifically calls out Neil Stevenson. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Neil. Sam, have you read Anathem? I have just smashed my keyboard to make fantasy names before. Um, I don't remember. It's been a while. Anathem is the I've... one with the weird mathematician philosopher monks. It's ringing a bell. I just, I can't remember. Yeah, 100%. that one, like, explicitly just has weird, slightly different made-up names for everyday concepts, and they're just all over the place. And there actually is an in-universe reason for it, but it is, it is peak just making up bullshit words. Yeah, I don't think this is a, like, coming up with, like, names for characters. This is when you just come up with mumbo-jumbo for concepts. Yeah. When it gets ridiculous. I like how we are nearly 10 minutes into this recording and we have covered the first epigraph. We're not even done because I needed to clarify. We do know Clenium because I yes. believe that is the town slash region that Elendi is from is what that yes, is. Yes, it is. Yep, we do uh, know that. It was a capital city. I don't know if we actually know the name of the region. I think it's just Clenny. But Clenium is the, the the capital. So yeah, when we rejoin the, the story in progress, uh, we are back to the Sazed and Marsh portion of the story. Uh, and we actually get to see their investigation of the conventicle of Saran. And this is just a really, like, this chapter is almost from a different genre. And it's really cool. I like it. <laughs> yeah. it's It's very enjoyable to read about, like, this spooky castle in the center of a crater mm -hmm. it's kind of nifty i do like how they they call out Sazed's observation is 
this was not a place that was built to be well defended. Putting yourself mm-hmm. in the middle of a crater is kind of awful for that. This was a place to be left the fuck alone. <laughs> yep. And once again, we have an elevator powered by Ska. Yeah, with uh, neither of our characters actually taking the elevator. They they both have very different ways down. I did have the note that it's meant to be lowered by men holding it from below. And if all the Inquisitors are gone, that implies that there's someone who is at the bottom who lifted the elevator out for the last people to go. But then that just ends up not actually being a thing. Everyone's either well, gone or they, dead. But <laughs> if there were Inquisitors involved, they probably could have uh, steel pushed their way out. Just yeah, I know. I was just, there was just a, a moment where I was like, ah, a clue that there will still be someone within. And then I was just <laughs> completely wrong about it. There's parts of someone's. <laughs> the final person lifted them out and then went back into the central chamber and hacked himself to death. <laughs> <laughs> they really just want to be part of the team. Yeah, that's a mystery twist. Um, we also get a moment where Marsh says that the Inquisitors went north and Cezanne says toward Luthadel and Marsh goes, among other things. Among other things. Which is interesting. He doesn't say no. He says yes and also other things. So yeah. now I'm curious if Sam and I are both right and... There are some Inquisitors going to storm the castle, and then there are others who are headed even further north. Um, interesting to be uh, on the lookout for that. And Marsh talks in three-word sentences, which means he's a tough guy. There's, There was apparently some of that from before. He was a somewhat terse individual when Vin met him originally. Yeah. But it seems even more so now. He's definitely got a uh, a bit of an interesting demeanor. He's leaning into this. <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm going to be spooky. I'm going to be spooky. Marsh is just committing to the bit with <laughs> these giant ice spikes in. I mean, that's kind of the impression that we got in the first book, isn't it? It's, you know, <laughs> it's we true. need someone to infiltrate the ministry and Marsh goes, I got you, and goes and becomes an inquisitor. Marsh is just a method actor is the main thing. So they they figure out how to get into the conventicle uh and marsh just says you figure it out i'm just going to climb down these ropes because i have superhuman strength uh and Caesar does a a neat ferrochemy trick uh, where by storing up his weight he can make himself extremely light and then he just falls we okay so I i have thoughts Yes, the physics is a little weird here. Well, my first thought is, we got the whole, obviously, like, we get right into the action with Vin fighting against the uh, the assassins. But we still have the nice tutorial thing of, it explains she uses this power, and then she uses this power, she uses this power. Mm-hmm. For any new readers, Brandon's just kind of throwing them to the wind on how Farukami works. He gives, like, the bare minimum explanation of what's happening here. And then it's just like, so yeah, and then says it did that, and that worked. And it's like, oh, okay. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, definitely still some some mystery to be had around that. Yeah. Um and speaking of mystery, yeah, I don't quite get physics here. This I believe Brandon has explicitly kind of hand-waved around. Um and this does actually get addressed a little bit in future Mistborn books. Uh, is some characters who are more knowledgeable about both magic and physics do some hard thinking about this. 
and mostly Brandon has said it works like this because it needs to for them to have cool powers and to do cool things. Uh, but yes, this is this is a little weird on how it actually works. Well, and it's not. It could. It, the, the frustrating thing is, I think there is a way to make it work, but it's not happening. <laughs> right. It's the fact that his fall slows. That makes no sense. Theoretically, if he can reduce his weight, he can also reduce the force he is going down at terminal velocity to the point where he doesn't slow down. But when he hits the ground, it just does not hurt his body very badly because he weighs so little. Mice can survive terminal velocity because their air resistance compared to their weight is just a ratio that makes it work so that they just survive. And if that's what was happening, that would be cool. But it specifically says his fall slows, which only makes sense if his air resistance is increasing, which is not tied to your weight. So I, I, I understand that Brandon says it works because it has to but I feel like you could make it work better. And so just, just a little bit like, why, why, why is this happening? So this is part me trying to remember things and part me speculating. Uh, but there's a lot of, um, when, when you get into some of the, the more complex uh, and less like systematic magic systems in the Cosmere, uh, intent with a capital I becomes very important. <laughs> Um, there's, there are a lot of things that behave the way they do because of human perception of how they are supposed to work, kind of. Uh, and so I think what basically is happening when you manipulate your weight with, with Farrakhemi is you're basically changing how gravity affects you. Like you're, you are kind of personally saying... I am being pulled by gravity at only one-tenth its strength. And gravity goes, I. <laughs> yeah. See, that's really cool, but I wish it had been explained that way. It could be Brandon, like, <laughs> came up with that explanation yeah. later. It's like, oh, that's a better way of thinking about it. I'll add that in. I just wish it was here because that does sound really cool, and that does fix my issue with this scene. Yeah. But that's not how it's Instead described of, here. Instead of, regardless of the scientific reasons, Cezad didn't fall as quickly. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and, and like, talking about about um, intent and investiture and all that is definitely stuff that was written way later. So it's entirely possible that Brandon had had managed to retcon an explanation into Farrakhemi as well. Um, but I believe that is the kind of the current understanding of how ferrochemical weight actually works. Gotcha. There is a character in future Mistborn books uh, who has, um, who uses ferrochemical weight extensively. So they actually talk about it a lot more. They're forced to. Yeah. Anyway, we've, we've now spent like another five minutes on <laughs> them going down to the conventicle. On Cezanne getting down a hill. <laughs> we haven't even gotten to the spooky building yet. Yeah. I, I, I I apologize for the for the details. Oh, I, I was just... I was ready to tangent here too. <laughs> so yeah, we actually start to see uh they they get into the building, uh aided by Cezid's uh ferrochemical strength, which he is able to scale up even further than Marsh's Alamancy, and they push these giant metal doors open. Swells it. Uh-huh. <laughs> He's real. 
and there's a, a brief moment where Marsh is just ready to walk right in and says it has to remind him I actually use my eyes to see and so I do need <laughs> it is light dark. <laughs> yeah uh, do they uh, is this a function of them just like because they left they didn't obviously leave any lights on or is it just they're all creepy spooky guys who don't use light to see and they just keep it dark because they don't need it i think it. it's the latter oh spooky marsh does get a lantern from inside true so they've got a few we also know that there were quite a few ska servants down here who probably do need to see to do their jobs right. well or you could just get used to Unless it Unless they just said fuck these guys and just kept them in the dark yeah stumble around I've definitely heard a, a story online of someone who they were like doing a makeup exam or something in in college. And so we're taking this test in the professor's office uh, and the pref professor was blind. And for the first like 20 minutes, the lights were off and this person was too awkward to say anything about it. And so <laughs> just kind of like sat over by the window so they could have some light. And then 20 minutes into the test, the professor suddenly goes, wait, you can see, and goes to turn the lights on. <laughs> so, I don't know, maybe it happens. Maybe they just forget about <laughs> things like actual visual sight. I mean, Marsh did. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so we actually get to see the inside of the conventicle. And conveniently for us, uh, Sazed is doing kind of a, an, an audio log here where speaking it out loud helps him to put together a coherent memory of it. And so he is taking a look around and narrating what he sees. I like that. I think it's cool. Like, it's not mm -hmm. necessary because it's a book. Brandon could have just written all of this without the quotation marks around it. But I, I like it. It makes it feel spookier somehow. Yeah, I don't, it's almost like there is an in-world narrator for the spookiness yeah. of the conventicle, which I think also just kind of adds to the atmosphere. And if somebody in world had to narrate this book, you'd want it to be Sazed. Yes. Oh, absolutely. So yeah, we get some some interesting architectural descriptions where Sazed is noting that this is a this is a very different place. It just it feels strange. And uh, and then Marsh finds the servants, and they are very dead. Yep, in the traditional Inquisitor style, just hacked pieces. Mm-hmm. Sweet. And then Marsh goes off to do some uh, spooky Inquisitor business by himself. My favorite part is when Marsh goes, I don't trust it. And Sazed goes, the giant pile of eviscerated corpses. Are you sure? Yeah, you think? You think this place is a little bad? There's a bad air about this place. You sure about that? You, you've mm -hmm. only just noticed. So as Marsh goes off to some other unseen horror, Sazed uh, continues his investigation and he finds a a room that is clearly important and we'll see how much he actually manages to decipher what this room is and how much we manage to decipher before he makes another discovery uh because we have the he he says maybe a torture chamber there are there's places to put people there's all sorts of uh metal instruments uh and there are a lot of spikes much like the ones that the Inquisitors seem to have in them. Seem to be sporting. Ooh. I'm going to put a pin in that because I forgot about this section. <laughs> uh, okay. This this uh, 
to 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 say this section, I mean like this like three paragraph area. Yeah. I think it's interesting that they're mentioning that or that he's mentioning that there's different metals for the spikes. Like they're not yeah. just one. Mm-hmm. It's nifty. I, I, I'd want to know more. Well, <laughs> unfortunately for you, Sazed doesn't. He specifically yes. says he wasn't <laughs> sure. He wasn't certain. He wanted to know how one made a new Inquisitor, which is now the second time that that's happened. Because in the epilogue of Final Empire, uh, Marsh specifically said that the details are messy. Yeah, you don't want to know. I do, though, Marsh. I kind of want to. I kind of want to know, actually. Are we ever gonna like see a ceremony of like making an inquisitor in any of these books, or are we just? <laughs> uh, do you want to... an answer? Uh, I will I, say I, don't I know. actually I don't I do not want an answer to that. I okay. Would say. All right, then we'll sorry. Sorry, yeah, we'll sorry, sorry to take we that away. We will wait for you. that. No, nope, that's totally cool. <laughs> but we we do see one more significant discovery uh, that says it is going to investigate. Because uh, it's some ancient writing. So Seiza gets to find a new yes. bit of lore. It was too big <laughs> to be called a wall. It was more like a slab of iron. And and we get an early answer to uh, one of our questions of the book of where do the epigraphs come from? They come from right here on this metal slab on the wall. <laughs> this is not how a metal slab set into a wall works, but it almost feels like the different sets of epigraphs are different video game collectibles. Like you collect flags in Assassin's Creed One and feathers in AC Two. It's like collect the bits of the the journal in in Mistborn and collect the chunks of wall that have been scattered yep. across the land in in Well of Ascension. You have ten out of twelve. God damn it! Where are those last two? Where Search the, the entire two? fucking map. It doesn't mark off where I found them. I have to check every one. <laughs> I am playing currently playing the Assassin's Creed with possibly the best uh, scattered collectible, uh, which is, is of course sea collect- collectible sea shanties. God bless. Yes. Um, we also, in case the reader has not been thinking about, oh yeah, it's kind of early to be getting the answer of where the uh, uh, epigraphs come from. We even get Sazib directly saying, "This will be like Rashek's logbook. We're getting close." <laughs> Just directly, like, hey, hey, it's this, it's like the last mm-hmm. book card. It's the same sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Once we finish translating this, I bet we'll be two thirds of the way there. <laughs> also, it wasn't Rashek's logbook. No, no, it yeah. wasn't. That's uh, I think Seiza just kind of forgot that. Seiza seems to be forgetting a lot because he should also know who Quan is because he's read Alendi's logbook. That's true. Does. Yeah, no, Quan's name does get mentioned. Certainly does, otherwise I wouldn't know who it is. Yeah, it says <laughs> right in the section that uh, says it is like reading, my name is Quan, right? No, there. I mean in, in Alendi's <laughs> logbook. Oh, from, uh, from last yeah. Book. Yeah, no, right. he, he mentions it there too. Yeah, I will give I will give a says it a pass if he put all of the logbook into a copper mind and so he doesn't actually remember a lot of the details off the top of his head. That if, may be if, true. If that is the in-universe explanation for why he doesn't immediately go, oh yeah, Quan, I remember that, then I, I will accept that. It is funny knowing that all of these are on the same wall because looking at the inscriptions, like they start really like urgent and it seems like he's like trying to hurry to get all of this in stone or in metal. Uh, and then it also starts getting into like really detailed. And here's my, my the 
the story of my life and it's we have an just entire the image. book worth of these yeah just the image of like <laughs> you read the first epigraph and i'm picturing like a guy really hurriedly like looking over his shoulder and now looking at it it's like and this guy probably took a nap and then got back to it for a little while and was like eh, a couple of years ago is what, yeah mm-hmm. wrote alendi was tall <laughs> journaled it out on paper did some editing <laughs> then did a final draft in metal yeah so we will uh unfortunately we'll have to get back to that later because marsh has decided that it is time to go uh that it is uh uh, he didn't find what he was looking for and that they they should be gone uh, and so Sazed takes down a, a physical copy he makes a rubbing of the the wall so that he can work on that later and away they go yeah and i as i expressed last episode i've been a little worried about marsh drinking the kool-aid of inquisitorness um and he's still kind of giving off that vibe a little bit but we got a couple of moments where it's very clearly the old marsh peeking through a little bit because his note of like you can follow me upstairs but i don't want to like be in the same room at you as you at the same time because you can see what the inquisitors have done but i don't want to be present while you do it like that's a very human thing to feel Mm. like i'm not trying Mm -hmm. to hide a secret from you i just don't it's going to make me uncomfortable if you see me an inquisitor in the same room as some of the stuff you're going to see yeah um and then despite calling them his brethren and it seems like he's sort of uh becoming a lot more similar to them you also have marsh going you shouldn't care about the inquisitors you shouldn't be talking about them you shouldn't be recording them because it's not worth it and i just think that's also a very a very interesting and very human thing to say rather than an inquisitor thing to say yeah i agree we will see um a little bit more of them before we wrap up the section uh, but for now, we are going to leave that adventuring party there uh, and return with another epigraph and then back to Luthadel. Uh, with our, our epigraph, we learn, uh, and these are, again, these are, I think, details that we had had before in some fashion, but now we see them from Quan's perspective, uh, is that he uh, declared Alendi to be the hero of ages and, uh, and as he says, was met with scorn and then regrets that he did not follow that opinion. Sorry, I had to find that gif. Um, <laughs> That's a good one. <laughs> it just reminds me of that. Like, I have to carve this quickly. Yeah. The castle. As, as, he's, uh... as he, he is under duress, working there with this giant sheet of metal and like a stylus and a hammer or something. <laughs> but we will get back to uh spooky cave walls or spooky building walls later uh later on. now we are go- we're going to spooky mists it would be interesting if one of the last epigraphs is like it, it would it would kind of still make this a little bit silly having a, a, like a monty python comparison of carving onto a wall your last words but it would be interesting if like the last epigraph is i can hear them coming i can hear and then it just cuts off immediately i think that mm-hmm. would be interesting drums in the deep yeah. <laughs> I can hear them coming. I can... Oh God! Oh God! They're hacking me to pieces! Oh no! Ow! <laughs> ow! ow. <laughs> At least they're leaving my hands alone, so I can continue my careful carving. <laughs> oh. All right. Uh, yeah, dumb. we're we're gonna have to get back to that. 
but what we have now is uh, more kind of beginning to dive into uh, Chandra and the way that their their contracts and their kind of business work, uh, which I think is is super interesting to hear about, uh, because we start Very this Luthadel section uh, with Vin and Orsur kind of trying to work out how they're going to work together. Yeah, and just to set the scene, it's a it's a it's a short girl talking to a large dog on a roof. Yeah, just your <laughs> everyday <action>. happenings, <laughs> and it's a very interesting start to their relationship here, where Vin is is observing that the mists are starting to come earlier in the evening, uh, which concerns her, and she thinks it's strange. Uh, and asks Orser if, if he thinks it's strange, and he says, I will think it's strange if you wish me to. Which is just a, a, a very interesting way of maintaining this relationship here. Yeah. Why would it not just be implicit? Like, I, I'm telling you this, so believe it. Because she I, has I to know. command it. And I... we're getting the sense already, like, how much of this is just the way that Chandra are and how much of this is because of this really strange relationship between Orser and Vin in particular. Because <laughs> she's a jerk to him <laughs> and he resents it. <laughs> it, but it, is a, it is a fascinating power dynamic of Orsor constantly being like, you'll have to command me if you want that to happen and Vin going, I don't want to command you. And Orsor clearly being in what is what should be the kind of like less powerful role but being able to like either get out dodge a question or at the very least force vin to do something mm -hmm. that she doesn't want to do um it's just it is i just find it fascinating how the, the the power dynamics are at play here right oh yeah and what we're starting with is vin is going to uh the expert on Chandra infiltration and she's trying to ask Orser what they can do to discover who has who has been taken uh, among the the crew and so starts getting questions like she confirms her uh, understanding of the contract that Chandra can't kill a human so there had to be something else involved in the way that this that uh, this person got uh, replaced and then she starts to kind of go through the checklist uh, and i almost want to like put this checklist up on my whiteboard as we read <laughs> and see who we can eliminate as we go because uh, we start with breeze who was still outside the city when the the bones were discovered and ellen who was with vin at the time so and presumably Vin, as long as we're not doing some, like, really weird, <laughs> like, bullshit twist oh, here. <laughs> David Cage? Um, yeah, and I, there is, there's the moment of, it's not Ellen. It might be Ellen. No, it can't be Ellen. And it's, you know, I'm pretty sure it's not, but it's just enough doubt to be like, mm, I can't know for sure. Mm -hmm. um, which would be very funny, just knowing that, like, I have had a friend tell me, I'm sad you don't like Ellen, but I think in Will of Ascension you might like him more. And it would be really funny if the reason why is he's been replaced because with an imposter and you'll like him better. <laughs> he's a corpse now. 
Hmm. Oh, um, this is this is a nifty qu- question. I, I I can't find Vin asking it. Would Orsor be able to sense if somebody's a uh Chandra or not? I don't think that's been brought up yet. Yeah. I would have asked that. Like, hey, if I if I take my dog to sniff people. Yeah, can he just know? <laughs> Spell test. And and it is kind of an, an interesting back and forth here where Orser's entire kind of way of being is is built around not being able to to tell of being able to pull this off as close to perfectly as possible and so even if it isn't uh, you know there there's vin isn't asking him to kind of like give himself up but there is an element of that of like these are are deeply held secrets that vin has a good reason for knowing but orser has a good reason for not telling so she starts with kind of the the hopeful easy point of can i just see one of my friends behaving strangely uh and orser says that Kondra are very good at what they do he himself says he's he's only average at it and some are vastly better than him so that's uh not so so hopeful there and then we get a a question that is kind of more explicitly dodged of can we use allomancy to determine this uh and and this is uh like we mentioned that that interesting interplay of orser says you'll have to command me to tell you that and vin doesn't want to to wield that power that way and it's a a bit of a, a standoff there yeah one thing about kelsier Whereas, you know, Kelsier with Orser, presumably Kelsier and Orser had the the contract going there. Mm -hmm. Um, He can casually order somebody to do something without sounding like a jerk. And Vin has not mastered that. Right. So, But eventually they do work around to uh, a a big insight there, uh, which is that uh, Chandra are immune to mental elementsy to brass and zinc so maybe there's something there maybe vin can use uh her knowledge of brass and zinc and seeing how people are affected uh but it is it is kind of a, a dilemma there where she would have to prove a negative of how do i know this person isn't being influenced all you got to do is hit him with the the lady cliss special mm. <laughs> Talk! The old Lady Cliss one-two! We were all thinking it. <laughs> oh, oh my god. I am so excited to see Brasser Zinc combined with Duralumin. I'm so excited. Oh god. I don't know if we're going to. That would be quite an experience. <laughs> when you first said that, I forgot about the functions of brass and zinc in the book and thought you meant your game brass or zinc, but somehow <laughs> no. on Duralumin, and I went, no, please, God, I've suffered enough. It's you would happen. die in the first, like, three words. Yeah. <laughs> I, I feel like I explained this in the first episode. Um, I'm not doing aluminum or Duralumin because the choice is... Uh, super flare a metal or lose all your metals (laughs) who would pick aluminum i don't know somebody some some renegade Mm. out there would say aluminum but not me 
right? Uh, we learn a couple other things about the uh, the relationship between Chandra and Alamancy. Uh, as I think this was the thing we were pondering uh, a little bit earlier of can a Chandra use Alamancy if they are imitating an Alamancer? And Orser says, no, that's not possible. Uh, so that's, Vin actually has a, a good hit here of if someone uses metals, then they're clean. And then uh, one of the, the other big questions is Kelsier knew, and, and some of the other crew knew something about the Chandra need to stay away from the Lord Ruler and from the Inquisitors. Uh, and this one, uh, Orser just straight up says, I will not tell you that. It is, even if you order me to, I will not. It's in the contract, which Vin mm-hmm. then uses. I really need to read that thing again. Yeah, I don't know what I was expecting, but the detail of Vin has the contract is immediately like, wait, can we please read that then? <laughs> Group I, reading sesh, put I it in would, the book. I would really like to know exactly how this works. I feel like it would be useful to know exactly what's happening between the two of them and what's allowed and yeah. what's not. And who writes the contract? Who came up with this? Like, There's a lot of questions about like, who sets all this up? Who mm-hmm. who decides that Kandra can only enter society if they have a contract? Just There's just a lot happening that I feel like I need more information about. And Vince just had the contract the whole time and it's like, yeah, I skimmed it at one point. I should probably read it again. It's like, yeah, you should. Yeah. I mean, that's that's totally on track for Vin. But oh, from yeah. our perspective, it's like, could could we just like, could we just look over your shoulder as your, you don't even have to read it. Can you just look at it so we can see what we'll, it says? We'll pause the screen so that we can read it in yeah. detail. We'll take a rubbing. There yeah. you go. Well, I, yeah, that's exactly. what I was going to say is, if you don't want to read it, Vin, give it to Seiza to read because Seiza will read it in detail and then we can read him reading it and then we can get the details we want. Someone's got to read this thing at some point. So from there, we set aside the kind of immediate questions of the 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 Chandra dilemma and Vin has a little bit of time to, uh, to think about some of the, the bigger things of thinking back to the Lord Ruler and what they know about what happened a thousand years ago. And there's there's still a lot of gaps there too. Before we move on too much, I mm-hmm. do, as you mentioned, we have two pretty good strategies for determining how to solve this murder mystery. And I feel like if they just buckle down, they could probably solve it pretty quickly. I I know that there's there's a little bit of like we don't want to give away that we know exactly what's happening but right if you you've got Breeze and you've got Vin and you've got Ellen but he doesn't take any self defense classes so he wouldn't help if the killer tries to do something um but if you just take everyone else into a room one by one and you're like okay we can't say too much but Ham, could you please just use pewter? Or just say, hey, Ham, do you want to go train? And this time you can use pewter and we'll see if you can beat me. Um, I, I, I feel like you can cross those off the list pretty quickly. And then for all of the non-Alamancers, again, it's a little bit sketchy, but you take them into a room. It's like, all right, I'm going to flare one of your emotions. You tell me which one you're feeling. 
and do that five times. And if they get five for five, then they are being affected by the mental allomancy. And then at that point, you can explain why you did that. I just, there, we've, we've now just been given enough strategies that I am curious what is going to hold back the ability to start crossing people off the list. Because I imagine something's going to pop up that will complicate things. But at this point, we've got some pretty good strategies to go forward with. Um, there's also one line where talking about, like, if you use Allomancy, you're off the list. And Vin mentions that would eliminate Spook and Ham. But not clubs for some reason. <laughs> yeah. We'll, uh, we'll see. Uh, I will say on the the things that you were mentioning, um, we we're going to get some kind of forward motion once there's there's time for that, uh, and I don't remember exactly what chapter it is. I'm going to have to look through the annotations for when Brandon brings this up, uh, but there is there's definitely a reason. You're right that Vin is perhaps not taking immediate action when there is a path forward. Uh, Brandon does bring this up and I will mention it when I remember when that is. Yeah. And I, 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 this is not me complaining. I am sure, at, like, yeah. if, as long as there's a good character reason for it, I'll like accept it. This is just my thoughts of like, if I were Vin, I would solve the case immediately. Right. I'd get it done in 10 minutes. Right. Characters acting irrationally is not necessarily a plot hole because it turns out people act irrationally. <laughs> and if you solved it immediately you wouldn't be able to live in the sweet sweet limbo i imagine you're in where ham could already be dead it's true Ooh. well i'd save i'd save ham for last obviously <laughs> of course make it last like i someone fails the like uh uh soothing slash raging test and i'm still like uh could be ham though i'll but let you go for him. now <laughs> Let me go burn some bronze around, bronze around ham for a bit. <laughs> All right. Uh, as uh, as Sam says, Vin tries to chit-chat with Orser. He doesn't want to. What a great dynamic these two have. <laughs> great dynamic. I really it, it want needs them to be work. friends. I think that does need work, but I can see that if there is work, it could be better. Like, I do. I, I really actually love the moment where... Vin is like, oh, I remember what it was like when people had to order me around to get me to do things. Like, I don't know. Yeah. I, they hate each other so much, and I think it would be so fun if they do actually end up friends by the end of it. Yeah, no, I agree. And and we see, I don't know if this is Vin explicitly trying to to kind of extend a, a bit of friendship, uh, but when when uh, she's trying to get information about what he what he likes. And he's being stubborn and and going by the book and all that. And a couple of moments later, she starts talking about the mists and how they make her feel safe and they give her a place to be. And it, it's just a good moment there. Yeah, it is a it is a good moment. Except it also, depending on the mood of the scene, sounds like a supervillain monologue. Do you know what I love, Kendra? The mists. The power, the freedom. With this faint heartbeat pulsing in the background. <laughs> From bronze. Yeah, because that is... And then uh... she jumps off the roof. <laughs> and then she jumps Follow off the roof. Follow if you can. Because that's where we're <laughs> heading, is Vin has decided that it's time to take some action on this mist spirit that has been 
bothering her over the past however many nights. Uh, she goes to to chase it down, and she finds it. Yeah, she does a pretty good job chasing it down. <laughs> let, me, let me snip my notes on this. I'm going to snip the whole thing just so that just so that you can see what I wrote here. Um, so Vin feels with bronze the spooky shadow thing again. She hunts for it it's in a building in the third floor. Ask it what it wants. It poofs, then grabs her. At this point, listener, I'm right spooked. And then she's, she's we, very I'll, I'll let other people talk about it because then something else happens. But we'll 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 get to that once Caleb says yeah. something about wonderful things. But okay, I, am I getting put in the spotlight? I didn't really have much planned. No, here. I don't know. <laughs> Just I, I, I'm opening it before he, the spirit defenestrates her. Fair. Well, I think I think we just go right to that point okay. where. Uh, the spirit grabs her, which is not a thing that has happened thus far. Uh, and there's a, a significant pain, and she falls out the window. Yeah. So, yes, defenestrated by a misty ghosty thing. And I feel like th- at this point, I was like, okay, these are definitely the things that attacked that one guy in Alendi's journal. It does um, seem to be in that same vein. Yeah, and that doesn't bode well for Vin because I specifically remember that passage saying he hasn't been the same since he got bitten or stung or whatever. So now I'm worried that she's been like marked or infected or something, which would be mm. an interesting uh, new thing to have to deal with. Yeah, this is this is not quite how she wanted this night to end. <laughs> I, yeah, Yeah, that's probably true. So that is uh that is where we'll leave that scene. Uh, I do love the the moment of Orosur being like, You good? And Vin's like, I'm fine. And then there's just mentioned of like she didn't give any explanation and Orosur didn't ask for one and it's just there's there's a there's an element of Orosur doesn't really care what happened, and there's also an element of like, yeah, I just saw you embarrass yourself, and now I just get to sit yeah. on that. It's gonna be fun. <laughs> you did just kind of fall out of a window, didn't you? Gosh. And the time between her climbing into it and being thrown oh, out of it, like, this was seconds. It's like, it like fifteen Pretty seconds. Instant. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, we will we will leave Vin with the 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 problems that she now has to deal with. Uh, and we'll get to we'll get to Ellen and see what he's dealing with. Books. He is books he is what he's dealing with. Stacks and stacks of books. What a nerd. Get a load of this nerd. Get a load of this guy. <laughs> Who would enjoy books? Fool. <laughs> he also then looks at Breeze, Ham. Uh, Lestaboard's dachshund and clubs and then he goes any of these men could be an imposter no you know it's not Breeze he's not that's not true yeah that's that's true I don't I don't know if Ellen has thought through the timeline because we do know that Breeze is clear unless something really weird happened unless Ellen is the imposter <laughs> any of these any, any of these, these men, men could be an including imposter me. including me <laughs> <laughs> any of these men could be an imposter i'm the imposter to be clear but it could also be one of them vin thinks it could be any of them and the imposter has forgotten that breeze is off of the list 
one second. Justin is currently typing to Beth. I can't believe they guessed about Ellen being the imposter so soon. Oh no, I'm looking for a GIF. No, how are you looking at my computer? (laughs) I can't find it. It's from Meet the Spy, where the the, the spy says that it could be any one of us. He could be you, he could be me, and then he has his head blown off. Ah, yes, yes, yes. Remember when Valve actually worked on TF2? Remember when Valve actually worked on new games? (laughs) Hey, they put out... Yeah, uh, they put out they put out one game. That's true. There it we is. go. That's the one I was looking for. <laughs> there you go. I got you covered. It's a gift from Machinima. Remember Machinima? Remember when they oh, tried wow. to screw over like all of the people working for them? All right. Anyway, so just like the imposter is trying to screw over everyone in the key. Perfect segue. Yeah. I love it. So yeah, so Ellen has convened. Uh, kind of the the old crew uh and it's time for a planning session and he's he's trying he's very explicitly kind of trying to channel kelsier's uh methods here uh and it's clear that he's not quite filling that that spot to be fair to be fair he does get one thing very right which is that he shows up very late yeah. He is two hours late because he was lost in the sauce in the library. Probably not the same reasons as Kel, but it is a nice bit of, of authenticity for the old Oh yeah, crew. Kelsier was Kelsier was consistently waiting outside of the room just so that he could be late. I'm very confident. <laughs> Probably. Or is he murdering people? Or murdering uh, yeah. people. Uh, but yeah, Ellen is trying to kind of recreate that, uh, that atmosphere. Uh, and the crew started without him which is not the best feeling if you're Ellen and you're already trying to live up to Kelsier. So it also means that the imposter, you know, we'll talk about later about who I think the imposter is, but the imposter got to winnow in there and just make mm-hmm. a plan mm-hmm. all by himself. Put the, put the bug in there. Uh, that's also why... I again we'll talk about we could talk about the character reasons for not doing things but like it's not just important you find the imposter it's important you do it soon because you shouldn't oh, have yeah. the imposter knowing about your main plans of action against the armies that are trying to invade you of which mm-hmm. the imposter probably belongs to one of them yeah that does seem like a a pretty logical chain of conclusions there so uh, unfortunately though there's no time to take quick action on that because they need to take quick action on these two massive armies camped outside <laughs> and the the chain of of thought that the the crew seems to have gone down is that we need to pick a side we can't we can't figure something out by trying to to fend off both of them or take some weird third option is we have to to figure out which of these gives us the best chance in the long run of maybe making a play later, but we've got to pick one of these two armies. And so they are trying to weigh the, the pros and cons of each of those. Yeah, on the one hand, you've got the devil you know. Mm-hmm. On, the other, on the other hand, you've got the devil you don't. But the devil you know is a total piece of trash. And everybody <laughs> yeah, knows this. The devil you know is the devil. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Straff Venture, fuck that guy. And the crew guy. points out, the crew points out that Straff would break the deal instantly if they mm-hmm. struck a yeah. deal with him. Yeah. So. And then conversely, the devil we don't 
we really don't know anything about. I mean, Breeze gives us a little bit of intel, but considering how much time Breeze spent with him, I, I thought we'd get a little bit more information than just, yeah, he likes his glorious coins. He doesn't treat his ska very well. Right. It's it's not that, great what pretty we do much have, all we it's know. not much. As, as opposed to every other nobleman. <laughs> yeah, there's not a lot of like, oh yeah, that guy's the perfect guy to make a deal with to take over the city. Yeah. You gotta so, show him around the city to convince him that you were lying about the lie that there's Atium in the city. Yeah, it it seems like a bit of a questionable plan there. <laughs> absence of evidence is not evidence of absence, as every Sasquatch truther in the world knows. Yeah, how how do you prove there is no Atium here? So that uh, that might be a little tricky. And the uh, the discussion continues. Uh, I I do like that some of the the reading that that Ellen has chose that he's been studying. Uh, he's got books on logistics, which, as uh, as people have discovered repeatedly throughout history, is pretty darn crucial when you are conducting large scale military campaigns. And so Ellen has has put some time into thinking about this. And I do think it's fun that it's not war logistics. It's like normal logistics. It's grain. It's it's mm-hmm. yeah. He is he is applying a lot of secondhand sources because he can't find any firsthand in terms of right. how to run a war, how to hold a siege. Um, I do actually think that's that that's a fun kind of clever way of developing a strategy here. Yeah, and there's there's not really a lot of uh, primary sources on war because the final empire it was it was a thousand years of maybe some minor rebellions and even those didn't really make the the academic history books in the same way so you got to try to kind of figure this out from first principles here peripheral research there you go yes a thing I, that I get we all have studied context clues <laughs> i just was a theater major so uh <laughs> Well, it's not like a history term. It's just, you know, things are on the periphery of something. Mm-hmm. Although I can tell you, you know, I've written a fair few papers on a single chapter of a larger tome. Yeah, I, <laughs> like, I can believe that. Yeah. <laughs> so what it uh, what it comes around to as they continue their discussion, uh, there is a, a bit of a an awkward moment where Ellen has to kind of shoehorn himself back into this planning session as, you know, the king. <laughs> so needs needs to uh, try to figure that out. We'll uh, get there. <laughs> mm-hmm. We certainly will. Uh, but what Ellen wants to try to do is try to play this very careful middle position uh, and play the two sides against each other. It is what he thinks is the only way actually out of this situation, as difficult as it may be. As I've said, it's the Civ Four method. Mm-hmm. Here you go. Here's a helicopter. Oh, you're getting stronger? All right, here's a helicopter for you. Yeah, why don't <laughs> wow. why don't you just go fight that other guy? Merry Christmas. Can you take cities with helicopters in Civ Four? I don't think so, but it's that four was a a blank spot for me. I played a lot of three and a lot of five. Yeah, uh, I, I don't know, but um, Mr. Profit would be yeah. disappointed. 
One of them, either Civ 4 or Civ 5, you can't take cities with helicopters, so I would just give my enemies a Here, Here's a helicopter! You know, like, you can't take a city with it, but you can absolutely fuck up their grain and kill all their people. <laughs> Get, <laughs> take them out. Here's a Coloss. <laughs> and Coloss. <laughs> and Coloss, which we still haven't seen. I realize that there's a... Uh... A, a bit of a similarity between uh, Civ and D&D &D, where everyone played three a bunch and then they made a whole bunch of changes in four and they were <laughs> received with mixed reception. And then they made a bunch more changes in five and seemed to kind of figure it out at that point. Yeah. <laughs> to the point where the next iteration of D&D &D is just like, we're just going to just gonna keep doing five, but like tweak some stuff. However, in the same way that you have a lot of 4E apologists, you also have good old Mr. Prophet, who I think has been mentioned before. Mm -hmm. Your history Maybe. teacher, right? Yeah, is a Civ 4 apologist who thinks Civ 5 is garbage because it doesn't actually represent uh, a lot of things that are based in history, whereas Civ 4 put a lot of research into making sure different game mechanics actually fit and align with the civilizations they represent. <laughs> And to continue this tangent before we snap back to this chapter, uh, I've actually recently heard some D&D &D 4E apologists uh, who have said that if you just named it anything other than D&D &D 4th edition and therefore removed all of those expectations, it's actually a quite good system. But I have no firsthand experience, so I cannot confirm or deny that. I think I started playing like a weird homebrew 4E situation, my friend Andrew's place, but he would always just like make our character sheets and be like, this is exactly what your abilities are. And I would go, okay, sir. <laughs> so I didn't really get deep into it, but um, based on how deep I'm into 5E, you can tell where my preferences lie. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, I'm over here playing Exalted. <laughs> d for days. Yeah. All right, well, let's finish off this chapter. Um, <laughs> I, I do like that uh, Ellen realizes that his his idea pitch is successful because it's just completely crazy. And the crew is therefore immediately in. Uh, he says, I've filled my inner council with a bunch of thrill-seeking masochists. Even worse, I've decided to join them. So... Earlier on the page, he he's... You're reflecting on everyone's surprise that he suggested such a plan. And in the process thinks, I can be as foolhardy as any man. Wait, hang on. <laughs> yeah. To which I said, yes, that's true. Yup. So yeah, they've uh, they've decided to go with the exciting plan. Uh, although Breeze does point out the uh, caveat that this is going to rely pretty heavily on Ellen's negotiation and bluffing skills. And uh, that's going to be, that's a lot of, uh, of importance to fall on someone who is, is new to this whole leadership thing and is also new to this, this whole subterfuge thing. And it was terrible posture. And his terrible posture. But he's terrible. not new to giving inspiring off-screen speeches, so maybe that will help him at some point. Maybe it will. As long as we never look at him doing negotiations with Straff or Set. It'll be fine. Don't look at me. I'm too nervous. All right. But as we wrap this up, we 
finally get our introduction uh to the the mystery terrace woman who we noted last uh segment who is in the assembly hall and she has been found trying to spy on this meeting basically and the first thing that she does is starts ordering the rest of them around which is a bold move a bold move that then works <laughs> yeah it does <laughs> but uh yeah she she just says i would speak with the king alone the rest of you are excused she also apparently knows that vin is watching though it turns out that's a bluff mm-hmm. so yeah this is uh ellen decides you know what we're going to uh we're going to go with this and sends the rest of them away and uh we'll see brief stopover with a an epigraph before we start chapter 14 but we're going to get right back to it because this is this is good uh, and our epigraph is a quick one it is just Quan noting that uh once he had convinced himself that uh that Alendi was in fact the hero of ages he was not going to shut up about it uh or as sam has put it detective Quan is on the case <laughs> detective emoji <laughs> <laughs> i do just want to see this whole document at some point <laughs> this one's a lot better release it. <laughs> it's a lot better sorted um as well you know i i, I talked i talked about this in ep- episode zero and i don't know why because it's a very boring thing to say but it's exciting oh. to me damn it i discovered yes. headings yes yeah. organization note taking you're in good company here it's great yes. <laughs> The old one was just a bunch of horizontal rulers that broke. So, yeah. God forbid you try to put an image in there. Yeah. So yeah, let's uh, let's jump right back to the moment at hand, where uh, as soon as the room clears, uh, Tindwell, who we we learn her name in just a moment, uh, just breaks her bonds and is like, "Okay, I'm free now," which is a power move. Uh, and then first five words yeah uh ellen says vin you can you know come guard me now and tindall's like oh she's not there she left a little bit ago that's why i let myself be caught so yeah strong start here (laughs) i also love ellen's response just um i see i'll be calling for the guards now (laughs) yeah this whole like five paragraphs is so good oh and and her response is basically like oh if i wanted you dead you're screwed (laughs) <laughs> no, don't don't even yeah. so shut up <laughs> <laughs> oh i love her so much yeah we, we see a segment from from caleb's notes which simply read oh my god i love her i love her so much oh my god <laughs> so and uh she takes a moment to evaluate ellen uh and then starts in on her project which is to make him better starting with <laughs> fix your posture in a in a completely like unromantic tone, she decides I can fix him, and then by the mm-hmm. end of the chapter goes, I think I can fix him. <laughs> I can fix him. Derogatory. <laughs> <laughs> and also thanks to thanks to this, like you must be stronger in the way that you speak. Every time Ellen has said, now see, before launching into this main point in this book, it has stood out on the page like a glowing mm-hmm. light. Yeah. <laughs> Tidwell's gotten to me, too. 
just characters back, verbal oh, tics. Yeah, he just oh, does yeah. that all the time. Yeah. There are a couple of characters who have very distinct verbal tics, and it's it's super noticeable. <laughs> to check Sam's notes one more time, I get excited. <laughs> <laughs> Actions have greater value than books. Yeah, fuck books. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Also, uh, it shows what a huge goddamn nerd I am because my brain swamped that to say "fuck yeah" books. <laughs> and I was like, Hang on. <laughs> That's that the doesn't other make thing. sense given the larger context. Tidwell uh, gives Ellen a note that says "yeah, fuck books," and then Ellen rips it up into three pieces and rearranges them to say "fuck yeah, books." <laughs> <laughs> Tapes it back onto his yeah. wall. I keep picturing her name as Twindle instead of Tindwill. I don't know why. Yeah, terrorist names are a little weird. Um, I, I mm-hmm. like them in that this is something that certainly no fantasy author can stand up to the linguistic mountain that is J.R.R. Tolkien. <laughs> yeah. uh, but Brandon has a little bit here and there of trying to to pick like a similar theme, a similar set of sounds and whatnot. Uh, and I, I do like uh, terrace names. Uh, I think we've heard of one of the terrace cities of Tathingdwen. Uh, there's a character in a future book whose name is Essenthu. So I, I like the sound of them. But yeah, we, we see over the, the course of this whole exchange uh, what Tindwell's kind of mission is here. Uh, is... Uh, she explains that that each keeper has a, a kind of subject of their expertise, as we saw with Sazed and his uh, personal desire to to catalog and find out about religions. Uh, hers is uh, biographies of important people in history. And so her plan is to take what she knows of the kind of greats of the past and try to whip Ellen into shape. Because right now, she says the the people of the city, uh, they they look down on him. They they don't see him as a, a strong leader, and she thinks that they need a strong leader right now. And if it's going to be Ellen, then like you said, I can fix him. Derogatory. <laughs> Ellen goes. I'd rather avoid further insults this evening. If you'll excuse me, the Tidwell goes. Your people think you are a fool, and Ellen's like. All right, that was another insult, but I'm listening now. <laughs> yeah. It wasn't you insulting me, so that's a little better, I guess. And also, it's a problem, so I, I guess you're right. We should do something about this. Uh, I love her vibes just so much. And I it's it's so fascinating that like she's into biographies, and you'd think Ellen would love that. But they just get off to such a rocky start that like mm-hmm. this whole dynamic is just so fun. Yeah. Honestly, I, you know, I'm, I like Ellen. Maybe Caleb and I diverge a little on this, but I'm I'm a fan of Ellen. What? Um, But here's the thing. Uh, I'm totally with this. I think Tindwell needs to help him out um, to put a a historical comparison here. Um, He kind of reminds me of like Walter Mondale uh, from the 1984 election. Um, he really knows his stuff, uh, but he's too nice and too honest for his own good, and he's only mm-hmm. going to win Minnesota. So <laughs> let's work on this. Please, this is Skadriel. It's fantasy Minnesota. <laughs> oh. Just one word with a capital M in the middle, fantasy Minnesota. <laughs> yes, there's an apostrophe in there somewhere too. 
in Umlaut. Yeah, I, I'm completely with you, Sam. I love Elend, and he's he needs to be bullied. <laughs> he's been too privileged. He needs <laughs> to be bullied. I'm glad we can all agree on that, at least. Um, yeah, I don't I don't love Tindwell just because she bullies Ellen. I am also legitimately excited for, yeah, if she can whip him into shape, I might like Ellen, which I yeah. assure you, dear listener, I am not going into this trying to hate Ellen. I just don't really find him a very compelling character, and I think Tindwell could help with that. Yeah. With the benefit of hindsight, I... I could have predicted, I think, that that both of you would, would like Tyndall and the way that this is going to go. And I also just really do like this interaction. So looking forward to seeing more. But as as Tyndall leaves for the night because Vin has returned, uh, Ellen has the, the practical question of, um, is there anything I should be, begin practicing? And her response is, yes, stop saying um. <laughs> Which, as the person editing my own audio for this is difficult oh no you can't make me aware of that <laughs> you can't make us aware of every time we all say um i mean i cut a lot of them for my own speech i can do it visually i can just look at the waveform and start cutting out ums <laughs> that's actually a talent that's pretty cool that's really cool uh, yeah <laughs> so now we get uh, vin's read on tindwell which is i don't like her which this is totally on brand for Vin as well. As Ellen Vin points out. Uh -huh. more wrong. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, Ellen does point out, he's, he's like, you don't like anyone when you first meet them. <laughs> so yeah, Vin and Ellen to get a chance to, to kind of catch up from all the, the sides that have been going on. And uh, Ellen has to kind of go over what, he's decided with the with the crew on how they are going to try to to play both armies and yeah i i think that that now we get to see that vin like th this is a good relationship for the two of them and and ellen has a moment where he he takes vin's advice even if it's not you know as studious or as as experienced in deception and, and fraud and whatnot but uh she just says, uh, you can't give up the city. I don't think I'd like what that would do to you. And that's, I guess, what he need, needed to hear there. Yeah. It's sweet. <laughs> and uh, Vin brings up some of the things that, that she was thinking about with, with her evening of how the the mystery of what was the Lord Ruler doing that they may have disrupted is... Uh, and, and is is there a, still a problem with the deepness? But the mists, the mists, Ellen, <laughs> the mists. <laughs> As Sam has written in his notes, the mists. Yeah, Ellen all of a sudden starts giving off love interest of the protagonist in a horror film. Of don't worry about that. There's no need to worry. There's no danger. It's fine. Oh. Yeah, he slips into it like um like uh, Chris Hemsworth in Cabin in the Woods, like he just walks past the vent and puff they they puff uh lack of suspicion juice in his face <laughs> i guess that's what it was huh yeah bradley whitford was interesting working movie. all night on lack of suspicion juice oh god cabin bradley in the woods whitford is a great movie oh yeah the the reference that popped into my head is a discussion i saw recently we we compare these books weirdly a lot to mass effect 
and I recently saw a discussion of how buck wild the like representation of Shepard is if you look at it from literally anyone else's perspective like you're the Turian counselor and you're like okay mm-hmm. fine the humans want a diversity hire we'll give them one specter and then your diversity hire shows up and is like ancient omnipotent god alien robots are coming back I saw it in a dream and you go no excuse me this- and then everyone calls you a fucking idiot <laughs> This was revealed to me in a dream. Yeah. <laughs> and then immediate. Well, it's. I. I don't know if it's exactly that. I. Well, it, it's a weird process because there's this guy who you're thinking is gonna. There's this person who's gonna be the diversity hire, and then they're like, "Yeah, I, I start seeing these weird visions." Also, that specter is is a, a traitor. He's committing mm-hmm. treason, and you're like, "Okay, do you have any evidence?" Okay. And you and you go. I'm going to be back tomorrow with some evidence. <laughs> yeah. I don't think that's going to hold up in, in space court. And then that happens and you're like, yeah, okay, I guess you got the job. You did, did detective work, I guess. Yeah, I guess. Where are you going? Oh, you're going to go chase down the space robots? Okay. And then two weeks later, they come back with like, yeah, it's the uh, ancient eldritch gods. They're real. They're coming back. <laughs> My dreams were right. I, like, when you view it from that perspective, the line, ah, yes, Reapers, makes way more sense. Because it's like, there's exactly. way, there's a lot of crazy shit you're throwing at us, man. <laughs> yeah. But also, okay, Mass Effect lore time. Citadel DLC. Turns out the council actually had a whole bunch of info that they got from the bits of Sovereign after you blow up Sovereign at the end of ME1. And they were just sticking their heads in the sand. So fuck all them for not uh, not doing anything in ME2. No, yeah. ME2, from ME2 on, it's, it's, yeah, there's no excuse. But in, in number one, when every time Shepard is like, the council is useless, they do nothing. It's like, girl, are you sure? <laughs> Anyway, <laughs> anyway, in well of ascension. <laughs> yes, it's we're not the uh, not quite to that extreme, but uh, yeah, I I kind of get how Ellen just like, come on, man, there's two armies. <laughs> can, can we stick yeah. to that? Yeah, I mean they they do. Ellen does at least act as a, a a sounding board for Vin to talk out her ideas. Uh, they think about the deepness and uh what actually happened what did alendi and or rashek do a thousand years ago we also and i understand why she doesn't do it but there is important context of vin doesn't tell ellen that she got attacked by a ghost no nope, I, I don't think he leaves that out which just yeah. to go back to mass effect real quick would be like if <laughs> shepherd went to the council and then went didn't say, hey, I have evidence that Saren is a traitor, even though they do. They just go, hey, do you think Saren might be a traitor? And then refuses to elaborate. <laughs> I can't believe you don't believe me. All right. So as as this chapter wraps up here, uh, we get one final debrief between the two of them on the, the Chandra problem, uh, where Vin goes over what we've learned about how Alamancy can help. Uh, and that will, Caleb, like you mentioned, that will test Spook and Ham, at least. 
Oh, is this where that line happens? Yeah, mm-hmm. it just does not venture close. Yeah. <laughs> I guess, I mean, it's hard. With with Spook and Ham, you can just walk up and burn some bronze and, like, poke them a little bit. Right. With clubs, you gotta lay more of a trap, because you can't, like, I, yes, she pierced that copper cloud that one time. I have not forgotten. But how do you sense right. if he's burning copper? Right. Copper is another kind of proving a negative thing. Yeah. It's the so, carbon monoxide of Allomancy. Didn't she kind of learn from Marsh sort of how to do that? I, I, I just feel like there's ways to do it. Yeah. And uh, and we'll see where that takes us. But uh, as this chapter ends, Vin one more time has that, that lingering notion of, but what if it's Ellen? Uh, and then decides to trust him and thinks back to... Uh, the things that that Kelsier had said about Mare and the betrayal that may or may not have happened there, and realizes that that she does she does kind of get it. She gets how you trust someone like that. So, a good moment there, which is capped off by a really cute tiny exchange. Ellen was looking at her. What she asked. You're smiling. Do I get to hear the joke? No, she said simply. And then Ellen yeah. just goes, "All right then," and moves on. Yeah. I think that's really sweet. That's nice. Yeah. This, this, this. I liked this scene a lot better than the chapter five scenes between the two of them. This one, I, <laughs> I, I was on board with. I think that's. <laughs> Tinwill is working her magic already. <laughs> already, little matchmaker. <laughs> so, Ellen goes back to his his books. Vin goes back to skulking in the night as she once again at the very end of the chapter monologues into the void and then heads outside. <laughs> she did learn a lot from Kelsier. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. I kind of wanted the scene to end and Ham is peeking through the door being like, Oh, I was just going to come get, sorry, I'll leave you alone. Cause he's done that like <laughs> four times. <laughs> yeah. See how many we can, we can rack up there. Before it's a musical jingle this movie from how many times he just pops in. I just want to tell you both good luck. We're all counting on you. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, All right. Uh, One more epigraph and one more chapter to conclude our our section today. Uh, Kind of an interesting thing, I think, where back in the day when, when Quan first made his discovery... Uh, apparently, he did not originally tell Alendi that uh, he had come to the conclusion that Alendi was the hero of ages. Uh, instead, he just he did some more investigation, traveled with him, uh, things like that, and Alendi figured it out. Figured out that Quan thought he was the hero. So, kind of a an interesting twist in in how that all got established. His metichlorian counts off the charts. Oh, God. Anyway. Uh, yeah, we, we do Leave get... that whole pause in. Uh-huh. Uh, we, we get back to... Uh, I was going to say to the crew of Sazed and Marsh as they are traveling out in the, the, the far dominances. Uh, but as, as it turns out, it is just Sazed now. They went to to sleep to rest for the night and marsh just left bye say that is his own squad though let's be real oh yeah that's true yeah he kind of he wakes up and then he waits a while and marsh did not return and then 
says it says Marsh knew the way he would catch up, which I can't tell if that says it not really realizing that Marsh probably went to go do something completely different, or if that's just kind of a sad, like, wishful thought. Yeah. Of maybe Marsh will come back because I really don't think he is. Certainly, probably not, you know, very soon on this same mission. Yeah. Yeah, he's not hot on the heels returning to Luthadel. It would be very funny if just for a second time they just completely copy-paste the scene where the Inquisitors are storming the castle and are about to kill Vin, and then Marsh once again shows up having killed all of the Inquisitors that were about to kill Vin. That's just his job now, <laughs> is do some spooky things, disappear, and then show up at exactly the right moment. To defeat a bunch of Inquisitors, specifically. <laughs> Become a deus ex mar- marchina. Yeah. Uh, all right. Now we're cooking with gas. Hell yeah, brother. Cooking with petrol now. <laughs> so Sazed is now uh, a, a solo traveler trying to head back to Luthadel. Uh, more mundane details about Sazed's keeper memories. Uh, he finds a, a village uh, and looks up a travel guide. Which apparently the Final <laughs> Empire had. It's so cute. I love it. Ah, what's this? Oh, it's picturesque. Yeah, he's he's a little he's a little cynical about it. He says, you know, it was described as picturesque, so probably some nobleman had a house here because he liked the view. But uh, unfortunately, as we as we discover, Urbine is no longer a good place to be because something has happened here, and it is it is not good. Uh oh. <laughs> everyone's dead that's pretty much it yep oh my notes are so good this time it, it, but yeah. it was very fun getting to play detective a little bit and i think fresh off of the vin chapter where she gets attacked by the the mist creeper thing um you know that was fresh on my mind so i did kind of piece together what exactly was going on in this village um and I don't know. It was just it was it was a very nice. Brandon does a really good job of kind of like bringing you into this mystery, this little mini mystery, and solving it fairly quickly, but giving you enough pieces to piece it together at about the same rate that Sezet does. Mm-hmm. So yeah, we get to see the uh, the investigation where Sezet uh, is is going through. Uh, was it starvation? Was it a disease? Uh, is there anyone left? He does find. A uh, a single man, though the it's it's almost not anything to find the the poor condition that this this guy is in. And yeah, this is a this was not a good thing. the The mist came during the day. It stayed for potentially weeks, and the the way that these people have kind of the way that it's been all their lives, they stayed inside all those weeks until they starved or until they ate each other. Yeah. That's to coin a phrase. That's fucked up. That is indeed fucked up. I will back you up on that one. Yeah. But I mean, to make it less silly, Justin, uh, um, well, hang on now. Can you imagine being like that freaked out, that scared that you would rather just starve to death than risk? Yeah. I, I almost just said, that's fucked up. Yeah. 
<laughs> but uh and and the fact that you know the guy mentions like there were people who were like hey it's safe you can leave and they were so freaked out that they didn't mm-hmm. like he said that uh you know people escaped and they told them like hey it's free to go but well some of them did but also some at at least one some deaf uh, did not yeah gel apparently uh went out into the mist and something happened he he shook and and something something took him and some lived and some died so that's a uh that's a mystery that's gonna have to linger i guess it's it's very reminiscent of fittingly since they're being attacked by the mists um feels very reminiscent of the mist the stephen king story slash movie mm. um of yeah that also features a bunch of people holding up in one place and a couple people going i think it's safe to go outside or we should see if we can go outside and some of them you never see again and in the movie you actually find out they did survive but then other people get killed almost immediately um by whatever's out there in the mist um i i don't know if if for this scene in specific brandon was taking inspiration from that but the entire scenario of groups of people being paranoid to leave because they don't know what's out there and they know it could be dangerous very mm-hmm. much felt like like that story yeah uh we also get some of uh this was something that we saw in says its early chapters where his his teachings weren't being as well received as he hoped they would but this one survivor here explicitly says that he he misses the days of the lord ruler uh, who he he says abandoned them uh, when when the Lord Ruler was alive the mists stayed away, and now he's dead and the mists have come and and killed. So what what have they done and 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 why why is this happening to them now? And then the man adroitly runs away. We we keep just missing that word. This isn't even adroitly. It is just surprisingly adroit. Hey folks, editor Justin here. Uh, During the recording of this episode, we had some internet connection issues, which normally we can work through with the setup that we have, Uh, but this week we ended up actually losing a little bit of our discussion right around this section. Uh, We did manage to put together the rest of a pretty coherent episode, so there will be the occasional non sequitur, but hopefully uh, it is worth your while anyway. We did end up uh, finishing up this discussion of uh, cannibalism and then we're gonna hard cut back to our episode thanks and that leads to uh, what i think is a a really good way to close this chapter uh, where Sazed gets one of his uh, steel mines uh, which holds speed which he notes is is very very difficult to store up and it has taken him months to to fill this one in case he needs to run somewhere very quickly uh and it's time he is going to put that on and he is going to run yeah especially with Sazen, who's normally so unflappable right i mean you know he saw a village full of cannibalism corpses so yeah fair to be flapped but it's it's particularly effective given the character at play i I like your i like your use of the uh the the word flapped which is clearly <laughs> the like... opposite yeah that's what happens when you're no longer unflappable yeah with that uh unnerving moment that is where we wrap up our section 
and we're gonna we're gonna see we've got a couple of plot lines now that are in active motion and we'll see where where both of those go in our next section all right it's time for me to get my spreadsheet handy and my typing handy because uh, we've got some things to go over we've got uh, a couple of additions here to the the casting sheet uh, and then I I know we've been queuing up a couple things that that needed discussing so I'm I'm eager to get to that that part uh, as for the new cast we we mentioned Tindwell very briefly in the last section as she was seen in the assembly room but now we have actually met her proper so that's that's one to add to the list I'm trying to think of who else have I was going to say you said a, you said a couple but that's the only yeah it, I mean unless you want to to cast this this poor man who says it has found yeah, is there a baseball player we could check in there or something? Poor guy. <laughs> I was inspired by uh, looking at our current casting list, which is a little thin compared to the wealth we had last time. Mm-hmm. So my lies, eyes landed both upon Pete Crow Armstrong on Sam's list. And I think I put this down for you Caleb's did. list, yeah. which is not fair, but it just says tall woman for Tindwell. <laughs> sure does. <laughs> no, I think... I think this guy who says it has found you've got to go to some some actor whose name we don't know but it turns out that they're in like 600 horror movies because they're really good at playing this character and they just love it of this like torn up like crazy person who has gone through hell and is on the brink of sanity like there, there's got to be an actor who just excels at that. There is. His name's Doug Jones. Great. Perfect. So we need to save Doug Jones for something. Also, he's really tall. No, so. he, could, he could be both because this is his naked face because he's just a person. And then presumably next time we see him, he has to be done up as some sort of horrible monster. Mm-hmm. Doug Jones as the mists. <laughs> <laughs> now that would be impressive. All right. You know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put down... Doug Jones just off to the side here as somebody. Yeah, we'll save him. Okay. Uh, do we have castings to add for Tindwell though? Yeah. Okay. Caleb. Uh, just real quick, uh, as the urban villager, I just have I just looked up who's the guy in the woods from A Quiet Place, and his name is Leon Russum, and apparently he's been in a lot of other things, but that's I just looked up who that was, and I decided I'm casting him as that guy. Okay. Good enough. Turns out there's a lot of people in movies. <laughs> Y'all heard of this shit? It's crazy. <laughs> yeah, these are my insights for today. <laughs> uh, for casting Tindwell, I kind of went based on... Uh, I, I heard this person's voice in my head, and then I couldn't get it out of my head, so this is just what I'm going with. Uh, but I cast Kelly Hu, who is known as uh, my wife, Visus Mar, from KOTOR 2, uh, my spouse, Adira, from Tangled the Series, and the unproblematic love of my life, uh, Dr. Anna Ripley from Legends of Vox Machina. Um, uh, people might also know her live action skills because she also played Lady Deathstrike in X-Men 2. Um, she was very good in that, so that's uh, a very fun role. Um, but uh, if you remember uh, Lady Deathstrike, uh, you might uh, be noticing something, which is that Kelly Hu is not particularly tall. Uh, in fact, she is 5'5". Five five. Um, and... Uh, 
I thought of two other potential candidates for Tindwill, um, and neither of them fixed that problem because one that I thought of was Ming-Na Wen, who I think would do a fantastic job in this role, um, but she's also 5'5". Five five. Um, and then I also thought of Angelie Bamani, uh, who is five foot even. So pretty much everyone I considered for casting for Tindwill uh, did not fit the uh, physical description of the character of being tall. Um, but I feel like there's ways around that. You can go like Lord of the Rings with the Hobbit style of forced perspective. Um, you can just have the camera not have anyone's feet in the shot. So you could just have Kelly who on an apple box or if she's next to Travis Willingham, she can be standing on two apple boxes um, and just appear taller from the waist up. Um, I think there's ways around the fact that Kelly who isn't particularly tall because I do think she would be fantastic in this role. And like I said, I just, uh, I couldn't, get her voice out of my head uh, listening and reading all of, of Tindwell's lines, and I just think she would absolutely nail it. Uh, so that's why I went with Kelly. All right. All right. So we so we have three possibilities who are all the wrong height, but perhaps a, a good impression of the character, which works for me. And I got it flipped. Okay. What is, uh, what is your read on it? I have somebody that... I have somebody that I picture... Okay. Uh as fitting the bill but i don't i literally don't even know what her voice sounds like okay um but i'm going with john quell jones who's a tall wnba player okay um and has like a similar sort of features as described in the book so uh i mean tindwell does have a like a kind of immediately recognizable stature so there's either going to have to be camera trickery like caleb mentioned or you would need someone who who did have that that um, kind of immediately noticeable height and and whatnot. I think I I like the height, but I think John Cole Jones is too young. She's twenty eight years old, and I don't know how old Tindwell is, but I think she's like solidly middle aged. Oh, we haven't oh. really seen a, a lot about her yet, so we can mm-hmm. and we can adjust in the future. Okay, I'm gonna defer to other people having better insights on things because this is the part where we talk about what's coming up and i already know some of it so i get to i get to be the smarter one now (laughs) haha all right yeah i I know uh, i think both sam and caleb you've mentioned a couple things that you tabled because you wanted to really dig into them so sam do you want to kick us off Sure. Um, I'll start with just thoughts, and then I'll go to predictions. Okay. Um, thought number the first. Uh, I I don't know if we know this or don't know this yet, but it seems like it seems possible that the Inquisitors and the Steel Ministry in general think that the Lord Ruler was a Lendi and not Rashik. Okay. How yeah, how much did they know? Yeah, obviously they they wouldn't have like asked him like, "Hey, are you whatever?" Like, "Oh, the the Lord Ruler's journal just ended there." Okay, that's fine. Don't question it. It's it's the dogma, you know? Mm-hmm. Like you don't you don't question that. Um So, uh Yeah, maybe they think he's a Lindy. That's a thought. Um I don't know if we'll ever figure that out or not, but I think it's interesting to think about 
that like i would look up to that yeah guy. it might be an interesting way to kind of reframe yeah yeah okay um as opposed to that dickhead rashik <laughs> just a jerk <laughs> how dare he big jerk that guy um and my other thought is uh i'm not really scared of the mists like listen the effect they're having on people is bad the the killing people coming during the day whatever but at the same time it's just it's mist like there's no you know like the movie we talked about the movie the mists mm-hmm. or is it just called the mist um there's stuff in the mist it's just and one it's mist. spooky yeah whereas it's... this is just like the mist kills i don't know yeah i i wonder if this would be helped or hindered by a visual adaptation where you could yeah. do like you you could make it kind of supernatural looking and not like just you know low cloud cover but also to some extent it would just look like you know kind of blurry and and hazy and and so it it could go either way i think uh i I would be satisfied if it was like um the mist but then slightly inside the mist is like a shadow like a dark Mm -hmm. outline or something like that Things like that you, would be you, spooky. You kind of can see and maybe can't, and you can't really tell. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. So I've always pictured the mist as more like, like it looks kind of like the surface of the ocean. Like you, there's there's eddies and whirls and mm-hmm. like a lot more texture to it, I guess. Right, and there kind of is a more explicit boundary. Yeah, potentially also allows for spookiness. Because didn't they, or am I making things up, or didn't they say that the secondhand stories say that God about old Jeb, um, didn't they say the mist like swirled around him a little bit before he started seizing? I think we did hear that, yeah. Yeah. I think that's cool. And there's also, um, <laughs> back when, uh, when Vin is first learning uh, about tin from Kelsier. I forget if if it's a thing that Vin observes or if it's something that that Kel points out uh is that tin shouldn't let you see further into the mist. Like it's a physical obstruction. Tin doesn't let you see through things. It just lets you see like further in with more detail. But there is something about the mists that means that that tin actually does uh let you see through them so it, it is there is something going on there and maybe if we see it on screen uh we could we, we could see what that would be like yeah so those are my thoughts um okay. i also had a dream where i was ellen giving a speech um but uh i was in the rafters i was giving the speech in the rafters of my old student center uh behind a column and I was focused on not falling off the rafters. So I don't know if it was like overly descriptive of what Ellen's life is like. So, uh, but I had a dream where I was Ellen. It was pretty okay. cool. Were you completely obscured by the column and therefore off screen <laughs> to the other participants at your dream? Literally, yes. I was like, how do I, how do I get <laughs> onto the rafter without like falling and columns in the way? Like, yeah. I love it. So, uh, anyway, um, I, and then my my predictions. Yep. Uh, first, whomst is the imposter? 
Uh, we got, we've got Vin, who says it's not Breeze and not Ellen. Uh, and then there's me, who says uh, probably not Spook, since you fuckers seem to love him so much. Huh? <laughs> Wait, uh, hang on. I a little bit of meta page on Spook. <laughs> uh, let's see. Uh, we can see if it's Ham by sparring. Mm -hmm. uh you can see if it's clubs by like you could do it like meta you could you could do this hey ham stand over there hey clubs burn copper and then see if you can detect ham burning pewter okay you can you can can elementically puzzle this out here yeah um so the the alamancers you can alimantically puzzle out um which leaves uh like Docs and maybe Demo. Those are the two. Yeah, those are the two that I think that's all I can think of right now. Who would be like notable enough to be relevant and actually like a real answer to this question? Like, it can't be someone who we've barely seen before, right? It's the butler. Right. I mean, they said it was a member of the crew, not like a scullery maid or whatever. Right. So I, those are the two most notable two only i think the two non-alamancers gentlers. yeah demo is also the one who essentially gave them the evidence that there was an imposter though so i feel like it's probably not him it's called a self-report caleb <laughs> See, look it up are, it's people in... are too good at this now <laughs> it's it's a it's a key strategy it's a legitimate strategy <laughs> it's an amogus an amogus strategy all right so do you have do you have a name that you are putting your chips on here? Uh I kinda wanna put him on Docs. Okay. I think I think Docs is the is the bad guy. Um I think that it's a little too convenient that Docs winnowed his plan into being mm. here. Yeah, that um, is what you mentioned is the 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 strategy session that happened before Ellen even got there kind of planted that little seed of like you know maybe we should just give up you know it'd be something a conjurer would want if the conjurer was 10 soon sent by straff i was going to mention that was a a prediction you had on record is you think that you've got the identity of the conjurer themselves as well yeah the meta identity Mm -hmm. yep identity behind the identity um so to to get to figure out if it's docs or not i guess you could like i don't know shit talk his wife or something <laughs> like <laughs> hey hey you know who sucks your dead wife what the hell yeah this is uh th- there's there's no easy solution to to prove or disprove that one <laughs> like uh, without like tipping your hand either uh, right like you know why is why is vin being such a horrible person right now yeah well <laughs> I'm trying to to use my alamancy and riot him into yelling at me. Um, <laughs> so, I don't know. Uh, apart from whom is the imposter, uh, I think the, the obvious here is Sazed is going to take the info to the crew. Uh, there's the obvious part, and then we'll winnow it down. Um, Vin knows... Vin and Sazed are going to meet in the middle here. Because... Vin knows the other side of this. She knows, like, oh, that the the mist creature, the mm, the mm-hmm. spooky ghost that threw me out a window, 
is probably tied to that, and I've been worried about the deepness myself. And Seiza just knows that the mists are happening, and he'll be like, the mists, the deepness, maybe they're the same. Um, and then uh, Seiza will translate some more of Quan's writings and or tap his copper mind and just be like, oh, yeah, the well. It's where they fought the deepness. Mm -hmm. Maybe we go there. Um, uh, everyone will want Vin to go because she's on the cover with a big-ass sword. Uh, Seiza will join Vin, and I think Marsh will join them Okay. Uh, to head to the well once he gets back. And Vin will get big sword and swing it. It'll be great. As we it'll, saw on the cover. A, it'll be a whale of a time. An absolute okay. whale of a time. That's my prediction. Write down okay. whale of a time. I don't know. Whale of a time. Done. Awesome. Uh, <laughs> uh, apart from that, what we saw in um, the conventicle, uh, I believe that they're making new inquisitors. Mm, okay. That this is still an ongoing process. I, you know, posited by the fact there's, you know, the spikes that are there, um, in the in the room with the powdered blood, um, it's possible given that it's like powdered that they've been doing this like a while ago. Like it, this is just old stuff that right. that they haven't ever cleaned or whatever. But uh, it kind of does imply that they're building up an army. So. This is one of my two possibilities for that third army. Either it's, holy shit, an army of Inquisitors, or the Inquisitors are just going to the well. It, I say just. I mean, that's a big deal. Yeah, army of Inquisitors is not a a phrase that is a good thing for anybody involved. No, <laughs> hardly. Absolutely. Um, and they're also, if it is the third army is Inquisitors... Um, you can't, uh, you can't like sway an inquisitor's opinion. Right. It seems like they they seem to be pretty implacable. So so what do you mean you want to surrender to us? No, we're just gonna take it. Yeah. Fuck you. We can just kill all of you. We'll just do that. Stop us. So oh, that'll be interesting. Third army shows up. It's inquisitors. The other two armies see that this is a big threat and fight the Inquisitors together. Okay, so we get That'd we get a uh, an enemy of my enemy, except that the the third party is a very clearly and obviously more powerful third enemy. Yes, that's one of the possibilities here. Um, I have a on what the third army is. It probably won't happen, but would be interesting. Um, which I'll get to in a second. Uh, he, this one's a bit of a diversion. This this particular probably won't happen, but would be interesting. Uh, where's Jasties? Where is Jasties? Where's Jasties? <laughs> why uh, why why Jasties in particular of the 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 politics crew? Well, um, to to share a, a, an interesting story here, um. I needed new pants, and so I bought new pants, and I realized driving home from work, oh my god, 
I bought the wrong size pants. Um, Very curious how this ties I, in. And then I canceled my order for the pants. And that's what happened here. I was just like, oh, Jasties. What? It was just a, just a thought from the blue. Just like, whoa. Uh, why was I thinking about how I ordered the wrong size pants on my drive home from work? Nothing sparked that. Nothing sparks me thinking about Jasties either. It just popped in my head. Uh, whatever. Okay. Um, so uh, to go over why it's uh, Jasties and not Telden, I'm worried about. Telden is probably dead because he was a Hasting. And <laughs> okay. Hasting got like Wobble. nuked. Um. And when Elend was gathering troops, he specifically went to keep Lacal to unite. And Jastis is Jastis Lacal. Mm-hmm. So, uh, thus Jastis. Um, is he dead? Is he in hiding? Will he return? I don't know. It's interesting. Um, if he's never brought up again, then Brandon Sanderson is legally required to say that Jastis and Telden were the Statler and Waldorf of the Final Empire. Okay. Legally required. I don't have that much room, and so instead I've just put Jastis with three question marks for the possibilities of what were they? Dead, just gone, or comes back? Exactly, yeah. Okay. And that's I've fair. put three question marks to cover the three possibilities. But I'm, I'm going to say, it bears repeating, if Jastis never makes another appearance... Then he and Telden played the role of Statler and Waldorf in okay. the last book. We'll tweet this litigation at Brandon if we have to. Exactly. We, we can or do that write now. it up. We have legal complaint. Um, and then my final prediction. I just I, how. What made you realize mid drive that it was the wrong size? I don't know. I was just like, I feel like I was like, man, these pants are really comfortable. Wait a minute. Oh, you were wearing. Okay, sorry, I misinterpreted that you were like currently wearing the. I, I thought no. you like ordered something. No, you were wearing a different pair of pants. I was wearing a different. Here, here's what happened. I was wearing a different pair of pants. I thought, oh, these pants are comfortable. Hey, I bought new pants. Oh wait, I bought the wrong size new pants. Oh, okay, okay. I, I, little, okay. I've definitely had these trains of thought before. Yeah, just... I'm just envious that you can remember A, remember what size pants you wear, and B, have it be consistent enough <laughs> to know that it's wrong. Men's pants of that just give you two numbers. Six Good different job. ranges and seeing if it works through the power of witchcraft. Yeah, I bought... I bought 3030s, and I haven't been a 3030 since I was 15. So I don't That's know what I was That's great. Thinking. I wear anything from an 8 through a 12. What do any of those numbers mean? Where are the pockets? <laughs> Where are the pockets, Brandon? <laughs> Where are they, Brandon? Does Vin have pockets? Send tweets. Wait, I'm tweeting it right now. <laughs> oh, God. All right. Um, okay. So my... F- my final thing, moving away from pants, uh, probably won't happen, but would be interesting. The third army is on the side of Elland. Okay, like would actually just shows up, and are they someone that we know that is on the side of Elland, or is it a a third party who has decided to affiliate themselves with the city? 
I think it's going to be kind of like the, the religion that, that Finn is now lumped into, how they, the priests mm. just popped up. I think it's going to be a ska that popped up and started gathering up ska and, and march up to the, the city. So okay. um, given that it's a bunch of untrained ska people, I don't think they're going to be, if this ever comes to pass, I don't think they're going to be particularly fearsome warriors, but they'll be a good backup um, if this actually happens. Um, it'd be kind of nifty. I don't know, third army on their team, eh, who knows. Um, since I said that they're making new Inquisitors, I feel like it's more likely that it's the Inquisitors of the Third Army. Okay, but, if you had to put money um, on one. If I had to put money on one, but I'll I'll split my chips. You know, I'll, I'll go like, you know, half on black, half on double zero. Okay, yeah. Put the 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 safe bet, and then the the called shot just in case. Just in case. Because you'd yep. feel really bad if you thought about betting on double zero and didn't. If I thought that the Lord really was Rashik and then... <laughs> but just put like a 4% chance on it for crazy random example. Yeah, that's our number 4% chance. Now. 4% chance that the third army is on the side of Ellen. There. All right. And, uh, and that's all for me. Okay. I have filled out many spreadsheet cells. Yay. All right, uh, then let's see, uh, Caleb. What is your take on our our chapters and what we've got in the future? Um, yeah, so I got a couple things uh, landing on some of the same notes as as Sam. Uh, first thing I have is uh, looking at uh, the conventicle and the a what they're doing with the wall um of of what the inquisitors believe and what they want to keep hidden. It seems like since this he he enters into like a cave. Um, that this was a building that was built around this location rather than they had location, the, the building, and then, like, Quan went into it. Um, so it seems like they would want to protect this specific wall. But if that's the case, why wouldn't they just destroy it if it does have concrete evidence that Rashek is not the hero of ages? Um, is this meant to be justification that Rashek was right to betray Elendi. Like if that if that news ever gets out, can they point to this and be like, well, that was a good thing that the Lord Ruler did that. Um, it's just interesting that they seem to be keeping this secret, but very much preserving it rather than trying to get rid of it. Um, uh, so just something to keep in mind. Um, also, if, with regard to the torture room, uh, we get the detail that there's spikes of different metals. Now, I don't know if... We've gotten confirmation that all the different spikes in the Inquisitor medals are all the same type of metal, or if it's part of the normal Inquisitor process that there are a bunch of different types of metal. If they're all supposed to be the same type of metal, then if they're now using spikes with new types of metal, that seems to imply that there's different kinds of Inquisitors being made, which is terrifying that sure there might be. be Inquisitors with more powers being brought into the table. Um, so that's a thought. I don't have a lot to go on this part, but I also just want to point out all of the spooky Alamancer symbols that we get on the map and all the chapter headings and everything, and they're on the fancy cover of your fancy version of the book, Justin. Um, I think those symbols all correspond to certain Alamantic powers, but the visuals certainly look like spikes being drilled through something. So just something to keep in mind in terms of imagery. I don't have any like concrete guesses as to what's going on there, but something to think about. 
Um, uh, to follow up on something Sam mentioned, I do think the Inquisitors are going to be our third army. Um, the problem is Straff literally thinks he owns the place, and I absolutely think that rather than team up with Ashweather to go defeat the Inquisitors, he's going to think, oh, I can join up with the Inquisitors. We'll go back to the way it used to be when the Lord Ruler was around. Um, and I think he's going to try and make an alliance with them. Um, and then that's going to fuck him over. I think the Inquisitors are probably going to end up killing Straff, which I think might have been a guess I had in episode zero, but I forget exactly what all the details were it on that. It was, uh, in fact. God bless Dapping currently. Um, but uh, yeah, that's uh, what I've got there. Um, and then, yeah, transitioning from Lord Ruler into what's going on with the deepness and the mists, um, I think we have pretty much confirmation that the Lord Ruler didn't actually defeat anything permanently, but he just found a way to sit on the problem and keep it not a problem temporarily. And that's why when he died, he was like, you have no idea what you've done. Um, because he <laughs> knew there actually was something that was going to be coming after he died. Um, it feels like there can't be a lot of these mist creeper ghost things, or they're not super out and about because otherwise a way more people would probably know about them. And it seems like it's a pretty isolated problem. Says it's come across it twice. And then there's only been one in the city that Vin has seen. Or there could be multiple that she's encountered. But presumably there's only one walking around. And she's the only one that seemed to notice it. So um, this is certainly a widespread problem. But it doesn't seem to be a numerous problem at this point. Which is just something interesting. Um, that being said, if the average person is still scared of the mists, they're probably still not going out at night very often, so they wouldn't have a chance to encounter these things. Which also makes me wonder, is this why everyone was originally afraid of the mists, and the Lord Ruler just didn't dispel those rumors on purpose because it was useful to keep the people afraid mm. of going out at night? Um, he just knew they already didn't do that, and he was like, no reason to have them have hope. I'll just have them keep being afraid of the mists. Um, which is just interesting. And then that also ties into... Vin has started to pick up on this, but the timeline of the world doesn't really add up. Because if the deepness was a problem or was starting to become a problem before the Lord Ruler ascended, then... The, then but 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 Kelsier has heard tales of when the sun was not red and the plants were green, then that means it's not until after the Lord Ruler ascended that the sun turned red and the plants turned brown because of something he did. It wasn't a deepness problem, it was a Lord Ruler problem. Um, I also feel like that's tied to all of the ash mounts. I just feel like those probably appeared whenever the Lord Ruler did whatever he did. I feel like the sun probably just looks red because of all the ash in the sky and there's something wrong with the atmosphere because of all the ash mounts. Um, so yeah, I just feel like the Lord Ruler did something that sat on top of the problem and lessened its influence, but that didn't actually stop it from destroying things. It just didn't destroy the entire world. And I think maybe whatever the Lord Ruler did to keep the deepness contained is also what led to the ash mounts popping up and a lot of other suckiness happening in the world. And it wasn't as bad as it could be if the deepness went unopposed, but clearly didn't solve the problem. Um, so those are my thoughts on that. Um, I don't have any new thoughts for who the imposter is. Um, kind of doubling down on my theory from before, I think Doxon is going to be a red herring. And if I had to put money on anyone, I'm just going to continue to put on Ham because it, it, I, I'm just I'm manifesting it. it you, has to you've happen. committed at this point. <laughs> yeah <laughs> all right i have i have 
denoted your uh your last point with it's gotta be ham with gotta in italics yes um i think that's all i've got i feel like i had more thoughts but that i think that's yeah that yeah okay uh the between the both of you i think we've got some things that we can hope or expect a um, a payoff or an answer on the sooner side uh and then some of them that can we might definitely be waiting much later on so yeah going to be uh an interesting time to see what we can learn when about that all right i think that then does it for this section uh this is our first of four episodes that we're going to be spending in part two that's the the bulk of it so we've uh we got some work to do before we can uh, see where this this all goes all right in that case uh, i think to conclude things here we have a few things to go over uh, one is our next segment uh, we're going to be continuing with four chapter pieces uh, 16 17 18 and 19 will be our our next episode uh, and that will get us about halfway through part two so looking forward to that uh, and in the meantime all of the uh, the good places that you can get in touch with us or see what we are up to uh, as usual the this podcast will continue to be published on alwaysanotherpodcast.com or wherever your podcasts are sold uh, you can find us on, on most of the usual places though not all of them we're still working on some of those uh, you can email us contact at alwaysanotherpodcast.com uh, that's the preferred one if you've got uh, future mistborn or even future cosmere stuff that you want to uh, chat with beth or i about we'll vet it exactly we'll read it exactly uh and then our brand new social media presence uh you can find us on instagram uh with always another pod uh and on twitter at always another pod that's without the a in another thank you character limits <laughs> You can find great tweets such as "Does Vin have pockets?" Mm-hmm. That which will tweet allow was a you to backdate. Thing. As to, I am with my personal Twitter. I never tweet anything, pretty much. So every time I say "send tweet," it's a bit. And now I'm afraid of what change this will wreak in You've me. You've unlocked the power of actual send tweet. Yes, exactly. But yeah, we will. Uh, we've we've got some some behind the scenes bits. You get to see some of the. Uh, the images that we are referencing uh, during these episodes for better or for worse. <laughs> and uh, yeah, no, it's a, it's a good time. Anything else that I am forgetting or that any of the three of you want to chime in with before we take this one home? No. I think I'm good. Let's have a safe and sane uh, outro and everybody just just be quiet. Oh, there's a nice little musical segment. We, just, can... we say nothing. <laughs> I mean, that would be that would be good if we just did that once. <laughs> nah. Thank All you. All I want to be is someone who gets to see a giant woman. A giant woman. That is big, tall, terrible giant. Weirdly, not the first reference to that song that I've seen online in the past week. 
what is that song and how do I not know about it? Uh, That would be a Steven Universe reference for you. Ah, makes sense. Big woman. The last time I heard it, it was they had changed it to be a giant wizard, which is a little different. (laughs) And both. All right, I think that's a perfect sign-off. A giant wizard, or a giant woman, (laughs) or both. See you later, everyone. We'll be back for another episode. Bye! I think we're getting stupider.